If you have a Bible, I would love for you to be finding 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. We're going to read in just a moment uh, together. Uh, and by way of reminder, we are sort of in the beginning weeks of a series of sermons through the life of David. Uh, David's one of my favorite uh, people in all the Bible to to study uh, primarily because of what he teaches us about Jesus. So the title of the series of sermons is The Shepherding King, and that is a title, of course, we could apply to David, but ultimately it is the title that we could apply to, to Jesus. Any fruitful study of Scripture is going to land and focus on Jesus. Amen? So we kind of have a key word for this morning, and that word is rejection. Have you ever been rejected? Ever gotten a rejection letter? Maybe you applied to a institution of higher learning, and they sent you a letter and said, in a nice way, but ultimately, we don't have a spot for you here. Or you were rejected for the promotion, or maybe in a romantic relationship, you experienced rejection. Well, rejection is the title, the rejection of God. We're going to see the people reject God, and and then we're going to simply ask this question, why did they do that? And we're going to answer that question by looking at a series of events that preceded them saying one word ultimately to God, and here's the word, no. No. I'm going to invite you to stand, and and we're going to begin by reading the passage of actually rejection. So yeah, I think it's a way to honor the Lord, and we're going to put the passage on the screen from 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 19 and 20. Just listen to what happens here. It says, but the people... Notice the verb, refused to obey the voice of Samuel. Samuel was uh, the spokesman of God. If you're going to listen to anybody in that day, Samuel's the one to listen to. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no. But there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now this study this morning is going to be fruitful only if you allow room for God in your life in such a way to admit this. The very things that they were susceptible to believe and do then we are susceptible to believe and do now. Again, if you don't believe that, then this isn't going to be so fruitful for your life, for our church, for our our nation. Do you believe that you are as susceptible to the things that they thought and believed then, now, and that's significant? If so, I believe God has a word for us. Let's pray. Father, we have before us recorded in your word a moment when the people will not listen to Samuel. They will not listen to to you, really. And they demand something. Would you give us grace to understand not just what they did, but why they did it, And to in humility confess before you that we're prone to the same things. We're prone to the same desires. 
So give us grace now that we're not like them, at least in this much, that we refuse to listen to the word of the Lord. Really ask by your Holy Spirit that 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 wouldn't be the word applied to us today, refused to listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, God does something really significant, and uh, really I don't know quite what adjective to apply to it. I don't, I don't know to say if, that God does, well, God's good and God's holy, so everything he does is good, but, but here's what God does. He gives a sinfully unrepentant people what they ask for. They say they want something, and, and God says, okay. So, so again, the question we want to a- answer together this morning is, how did the people get to the point where what they most wanted was the very thing that would be most harmful to them, but they believed it would be most helpful to them. Another way of asking it for your own life is, if God really gave you what you most want, would that be good for your life or not so good for your life? And do you have the discernment to, to know which way that it would go? So 1 Samuel chapter 8 is where we are, and... Uh, I just want to show you that, that God's given them a clear warning. In, in 1 Samuel 8, verse 6, the thing displeased Samuel. It's when they first asked for a king, when, when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all they say to you, for they've not rejected you. They've rejected me from being king over them. There's our word rejection. According to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. But notice what God says. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Now, we're going to read uh, Samuel's solemn warning. Again, friends, this is a warning for you. Don't discount it. Don't say that was then, this is now. That's just some, something from a long time ago. This is a warning to you, and I want you to see a, a particular word is going to pop up again and again and again in the warning, right? So, verse 10, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who are asking for a king. Praise God for Samuel's faithfulness, right? Love the word all. He's going to say, I'm going to tell you everything. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys. He put them and put them to to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks And you will be his slaves, and in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Now, friends, that's a solemn warning. What's the warning? I'm going to give you what you asked for, but here's what you're going to find. The one that you think is going to fight your battles, that's not going to happen. What's the word? He's going to take and take and take and take and take. So just mark it down as clearly as you know how to in your life. If you have a king over you that's not the Lord, all that king is going to do is take. That's it. That's all he does is take. So we want to 
sort of rewind the tape and see what preceded this moment where they reject God and demand their own way. How does that happen? So one more reminder to you. Appreciate your patience. What they were susceptible to, you are susceptible to. I'm susceptible to, right? So let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2. And there's a few things that happen among the people uh, that are of such consequence that they ultimately say, we won't listen to God. We won't listen to you, Samuel. We demand uh, a king. And three, three significant things happen. We'll start here with this verse. First uh, Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Who are the sons of Eli? They're the priests. In other words, they're the, they're the very ones who are given the responsibility to represent God to the people. Is that a significant responsibility? Yes or no? Significant responsibility. When the Bible says that uh, Hophni and Phinehas were worthless men, it's not just throwing out uh, an insult. It actually means it quite literally. What's that description about? What does the word literally mean? Worthless. It means that you bring no worth to your responsibilities. They brought nothing of value, nothing of significance. And tragically, they were priests they were given the responsibility to represent God in the most important and precious of ways. We're here in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse, verse 12. There it is. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Let's listen to what they're doing. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Hang with me through the details. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them bring, burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Verse 17, Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. Y'all, that's not something that's said on every page of the Scripture. I mean, we're talking about the sinfulness, of, but our sinfulness is revealed on every page. But this wording, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. We listen in together. There can be things done among a people that are greatly sinful in the sight of the Lord, but because they're done so regularly, people begin to think they're common. We tracking together? In other words, they did this so frequently that it just became, hey, that's what they do. That's what Hophni and Phinehas do, man. They, they're in charge of the sacrifice. But what, what's, what's happening here? What was meant for the Lord, they were taking for themselves. And, and then, y'all, that's not, that's not all. Verse 22, Eli's very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. So here's our first principle, how people get to where they reject the Lord. Rejection of God begins with spiritual leaders who represent God in a manner not worthy of God. 
Ephesians 4.1, Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. I mean, the, the, days, the spiritual climate of the days, you remember at the end of the book of Judges, is in those days, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That was the standard of behavior. And that's sort of the days we live in too, amen? I mean, that's sort of the marker. It's all right as long as you think it's all right. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And when you live like that, you quickly discount what's right in the eyes of the Lord. So Hophni and Phinehas, they treat the offering of the Lord with contempt. It's all a bit of a joke to them. I mean, I mean these guys in, in between sacrifices, they just go on YouTube and look at funny stuff. Stuff that's not significant and that's not important. And their whole life's kind of a joke. And they, they actually think God's a little bit of a joke. They're, notice, I mean, we're reading this together. They're regularly around the things of God. Not just that. They're even leading in the things of God. But they do it all with contempt. They're greedy. They're adulterers. They've given themselves over completely to sensuality. And everywhere they go, they're recognized as priests. So friends, this is a bit of a reminder that you can have a title and you can have a position but not be worthy of it on the basis of your character. Y'all, character is always more significant than title. We live in a culture that's a bit obsessed with titles and positions. A little bit later on in our study of David, you'll hear the Lord say this. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to, does anybody know this verse? Repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So here's a little bit of what's going on as they treat God's sacrifice with contempt and they're not struck down by lightning. That, that does happen occasionally. We'll see in 1 Samuel. We'll see in a couple of weeks. Somebody will reach out and touch the ark in a way they're not supposed to. Dead. Right? That doesn't happen to them. And that's what Romans is talking about. You can mistake God's patience for permission. When God doesn't immediately bring wrath, you can get it in your mind. Well, maybe there is no wrath and I can keep doing what I've been doing. But I want you to remember... Same things they're susceptible to, we're susceptible to. Let's keep reading. Verse 23, he said this, Father said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Now, now Eli is not uh, the great, most holy and righteous priest, but he's going to say something here that is significant. Verse 24, No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? I want you to read the next part with me very slowly and carefully. But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death.
Think about it carefully with me. What are we being told here? I think at least this much. The clearest warning you ever receive from God that you are most likely to respond to in humility and repentance is the first one. And then if you don't, but continue in the direction you're going, you might hear the second one, but it doesn't seem as urgent as the first one. We tracking together? And if you persist in that line of thinking and behavior, you get to the point where, what's it said? They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. It's possible, there's some of us in the room, that you heard a warning from God a year ago, nine months ago, six months ago, three months ago, and if you didn't respond, here's where you know you're in danger. It's to you right now as if God doesn't even really exist. Around the things of God, maybe even handling the things of God, but having contempt for God. You say, well, yeah, that's the priests, though. What's the New Testament? Tell us about priests. Who's a priest according to the New Testament? You are, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are. You're given the responsibility to represent God. Now, now just, just listen to the teaching of the Bible. Those given the responsibility to represent God among the people were greedy, they were adulterers, they were given over to sensuality, and really what they wanted was to use the things of God for their own selfish gain. Friends, without purity and without prayer, there's no power from God or transforming presence of God in the midst of his people. Without purity and spirit-led prayer, there's no power of God or transforming presence of God among people. And when you persist and not listening to his warnings, you start to get to the point where you think he's not powerful. That's not true. He's just not at work in power in the lives of those who treat him with contempt. So that's where it starts. Rejection of God begins with spiritual leaders who represent God in a manner not worthy of God. Do you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? When the church begins to look and act more like Hophni and Phinehas, the people reject God even when they call themselves followers of God, and as we're about to see, even when they give the appearance of worshiping Him. But this is where it starts. So before we move on to the second one, have you hardened your heart against the warnings of God? Has there been something His Word has revealed to you in your life that's got to go? Maybe like Hophni and Phinehas, it's, it's, it's sexual immorality. And there's a time in your life, the warning of God in that area of your life seems so clear, but now it's like, ah, I don't, I don't, why? This is what happens. Your heart gets desensitized. Now, this is important. It's not that God has changed. Your likelihood of responding to him has changed. That's why the Bible says today, 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 if you hear his voice, what? Don't harden your heart. So friends, if there's things in your life that got to go, this is serious and it's significant. 
And then, and then uh, where, where are we going? We, we're tracking together? We're going to where they reject God and are utterly convinced they're doing the right thing in doing so. So let's go to the, the next scene. Is, uh, is going to be from 1 Samuel chapter 4. We'll put that on the screen. So the people, right? We went from the priests to the people. So the people went to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts who's enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant. What's going on here? Well, if you're in 1 Samuel chapter 4, uh, Israel was fighting against their persistent enemy, the Philistines. And, uh, <clears throat> well, let's just read about it. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. The word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. All right, so who won the battle? The Philistines won. Israel is going to ask a good question. Verse 3, when the troops came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Y'all, that's a really good question. In fact, it's the right question. Why did we just go fight against the enemies and the enemies won? Did you know you could ask a good question and give a bad answer? You know that? So look what they do. Here's their plan. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people went to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, and is, who is enthroned on the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were with the Ark and the Covenant. Let's talk about it for just a moment. It's a really important word there that uh, kind of educates us about their spiritual condition. It's the word it, I-T. Let us go get it. What's going on in their minds? They say, okay, uh, some of those who've gone before us have been in situations like this. What did they do? Oh, there's the Ark of the Covenant, right? I mean, we know some things about the Ark of the Covenant. But they, they marched behind the Ark of the Covenant, and they walked across the Jordan River. Glory, hallelujah, when that happened. They had the Ark of the Covenant when they were outside of Jericho, and they marched around with the Ark of the Covenant, and the walls came tumbling down, right? So we just need to do what they did. We'll go get the Ark of the Covenant. The Lord, why have we been defeated? Let's go get it. What's wrong with the word it? What word should it be? You know, we don't need to return to it. We need to return to him. They got their mascot now, right? We're going to do what they used to do. We're going to do what people did before us. Now, friends, what they were susceptible to, we are susceptible to. So what we really need is the power and presence of God, and that comes through the humble repentance of people, not its, not things. Amen? We need to return to the Lord, but that's not what they said. And then look who they entrust the Ark of the Covenant to. Hophni and Phinehas are going to Lead us to battle. Now notice, verse 5, as soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. I mean, they've never had a worship service like this. Even the Philistines hear it. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, 
what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned, listen, when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. For they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us. Y'all, the Philistines think more about the ark of the covenant. The Philistines think more about God than Israel does. For nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage. Be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews so they, as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Number two, rejection of God spreads among a people who wrongly experience, or wrongly rather expect victory, but experience resounding defeat. You see, we've been reading, they said, we got the Ark of the Covenant now, now we're going to go whip the Philistines, right? What happens? It's what happens. So the Philistines fought, verse 10, and Israel was, defe- Israel, was de- Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home, and there was a very great slaughter For there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers, and the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. God never, God never blesses a people at the expense of their own holiness. Ever, ever, ever. Ever. We got the ark. You know what they were doing? They were actually asking God to do what Hophni and Phinehas had done. Treat his own name with contempt. This is what they got in their mind. Well, God's got to. God's got to now. We're kind of going to compel him to give us victory. We went and got the Ark of the Covenant, and now God's got to to bless us. Certainly, certainly, we're not as wicked as the Philistines. What they were susceptible to, we're just as susceptible to. They, They want the fruits of humble submission to God without ever humbling, humbly submitting to God. They said, we're going to march out behind the ark and God's going to give us victory. As a matter of fact, it kind of has to. You know, in Judges, if you know the scene, there, come, there comes a time where Samson is going to stand up and he's going to fight uh, and he's expecting to be victorious like all the other times he's been victorious. And there's a little phrase there, Samson did not know that the Lord had departed from him. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of the most devastating verses in all the Old Testament. And what happened to Samuel as an individual happens to the nation in this, in this moment. They, they expected victory, but they met defeat. And y'all, that can be very disillusioning. It goes back to the question they rightly asked, but wrongly answered. As a matter of fact, they didn't ever really answer the question. Some of, some of us might need to hear this. God's been asking a question in your life for a long time, and you just haven't answered it. You're just going to continue to persist like he didn't actually ask it. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? No answer, just a plan. And we're just like that. Why? Why? Why is God not at work at power in the church today? 
Why? Well, I don't know, but here's our plan. I think we might have arrived at a moment where we don't need to skip over answering the question and developing a plan. You see, that was their plan. Did God ever say, go get the ark? No. Why? He wouldn't have. What would have been the correct answer to the question? Can, can I give you, I think, I think are some appropriate answers. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Number one, because you treat his sacrifice with contempt. Number one, because you're overcome with sexual immorality. Because you're prayerless. You want the benefits and blessings of God without actually loving him. You want power for your own gain. You, you refuse to repent of your sin, but, but still think God's compelled to fight for you. God doesn't fight for you. God fights for him, himself, the glory of his own name. My glory, I will not give to another. God says that. Are you seeing where we're going, though? We aren't quite there yet. We got one more point, but we're getting closer, closer, closer. When they ask for a king, they say, we want a political hero around here. That's what we really need. We want a king who will fight our battles. What they were susceptible to, we are susceptible to. It began with spiritual leaders who represent God but don't live lives worthy of him. It deepens when they expect victory but experience defeat and sort of sealed. And we get a picture of this in the next passage from 1 Samuel uh, chapter uh, 4. She named the child Ichabod saying the glory of God has departed Israel. He said, well, that's kind of random. What, what went on? Well, after the defeat, news gets back. Eli hears the news that the Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the Philistines, and he drops dead. And then his daughter-in-law, verse 19, chapter 4, the wife of Phinehas was pregnant, about to give birth, and when she heard the news that the Ark of God was captured, that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, and her pains came upon her. And about that time of her death, the women attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed. Literally, the glory of God's in exile from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. So here's principle number three that gets us to where they will reject God. Rejection of God solidifies among a people who take the name of the Lord in vain. Some of you familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? Anybody, you can go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You, you know them. What's the first one? You shall have no other gods before me. Have they been guilty of that one? Absolutely. Absolutely. Number two, you shall not make any images. What's number three? You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, most of us, when we hear that one, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, we think that means don't cuss or curse. Which is it, by the way? I don't know. Cuss or curse? You don't use the name of God as a swear word. That's, that's, that's part of it. But it means a lot more than that. What does it mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? It means 1 Samuel chapter 4. He's going to fight for us. He's going to do for us. He's going to give us victory. It, it, means, it means to say you belong to him, believe in him, live for him, when really you're only using him. That's what it means to take the name of the Lord in vain. He kind of got to. It means to use him to further your own sinful desires. It means to say you're a Christian, for example. 
But you really only value God to the extent that He does for you. Now, you see why this is really problematic, because the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Amen? It is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father forever and ever. We are going to say together around that throne, worthy is the name of the Lord. That is true. But what it means to take his name in vain is to diminish all those things that we just said and really make it about your name in his name. Do you know what I'm saying? That really it's about my name, but I'm going to say it's about his name. What does the phrase in vain mean? It means when you break this command, you actually begin to think things about God that are not true of God, but now you've you've tricked yourself. You fooled yourself. You're self-deceived because you're using his name, but unto ends that are not holy and righteous are not of him. But now you begin to make conclusions about God because you did that, and you begin to say things, well, he's not as powerful as I thought he was. If God were so, you could, you could kind of hear the whispering probably about that generation, right? If God were so powerful, why would the Ark of the Covenant be among the Philistines? And by the way, does anybody know what happened to the Ark of the Covenant or happened with the Ark of the Covenant when it got to the Philistines? They just put it in their temple. You can go read about that today. God, God never takes his own name in vain. That's something you can build your life on, by the way. He will never take his own name in vain. To take the name of the Lord in vain is to demand that he come through for you in the ways that you sinfully expect him to on the basis of the sins that he told you to repent of that you didn't repent of and now you say things about him that are not true of him because he didn't do what you told him to do. What they were susceptible to, we are susceptible to. And then, and then, When God does not do what they sinfully want him to do, they start looking for hope and help elsewhere. So they double down on their own lack of repentance. Because there is nothing God cannot do, but you best be assured there are some things that God will not do. And he will not bless his people in his name at the expense of their holiness. Ever, ever, ever. And we started our series of sermons saying we're going to return to this theme, so I want you to see it with me again. Go to the next screen. These are, these are things that you have, I have. Kind of what it means to be human is that you have your identity rooted in something. That's what gives you a sense of self-worth, what you're known for. What are the things that other people say to describe you? What makes you you, right? In every society, there are certain things that people tell you that you have to have if you're going to have value and significance, Call back to a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the scoreboard. And and then whatever you base your identity, maybe you're the smart one, or maybe you're the attractive one, or maybe you're the funny one, or you're the whatever one. You learn to base your identity on that, and then next you look for security in that, right? Security is what you look to in your life to say, my future is going to be okay. I can rest easy because I have this. And whatever that thing is, you feel uncertain, anxious, or distressed when that something is threatened. So to state the obvious identity and security, they're deeply bound together. And then the third thing you're looking for is is happiness, right? You're happy if your identity and security are are working. I hope you know what I mean when I say that. So, So now let's apply this to them and their generation. What's been their identity? Well, that's a, maybe like you, a little bit of a complicated question, isn't it? On one level, they're the people of God. That's their identity. 
But what have they actually been looking for security in? Not God. What are some things they've been looking for? Well, we're not as bad as the Philistines. And they're really a people who are wicked, right? And you can adopt that identity. I'm not as bad as, right? But now they're not happy. Why are they not happy? Because it's not working. And it's through that, with this is the backdrop, that they go to Samuel and they say, we're not going to be happy until we have security. And we've concluded we're not going to have any security until we have a king who shapes our identity. And remember what they said, so that we can be like all the other nations, right? He'll fight our battles. And then God does something fascinating. He gives them what they want. Which begs a couple of questions. What is it that you think the Lord is hearing from us as a church that we really want? So give, give you some connections and applications for your, for your own life. Everybody's got a king or queen that reigns over them, rules over them. Everybody does. That's where you get these things. Identity, security, happiness. It might be a person. It might be an idea. It might be money. It's a pretty frequent one. What you're basing your identity on. But what I really want to do is, uh, in, in, the, in the context of a people who looked for certain something in a king, I want to give you applications on the basis of the king that you should look for. With this caveat, we don't, we don't, in our nature, we don't look to the right place first. So uh, here's an appeal. Maybe some of you, this is where you are. I've been serving a king and all he has done is take from me. A great application for you. You know what it would be? Stop bowing down to that king. Put all your hope. And it didn't, and it's not working out. And if your king is somebody other than Jesus, it's not going to work out. And you can actually have a heart that is hardening towards the appeal of God to turn around and repent. So what I want to do is highlight the goodness of Jesus for you in light of the three principles. We started with uh, rejection of God begins with a priest who's not worthy of that role. Can I tell you Jesus is? Jesus is the high priest. Jesus does not treat the things of God with contempt. As a matter of fact, it's not just that Jesus doesn't treat the sacrifice of God with contempt. Jesus is the sacrifice of God who's treated with contempt. Jesus is the one who always walks in a manner worthy of the Lord. Jesus is the one who listens to the voice of his Father. He is everything Hophni and Phinehas are not. He is trustworthy. He does not leverage his position for his own gain, but actually leverages his position for the gain of others. He emptied himself, take on the form of a servant, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name. Second, uh, the victory of Jesus actually acts kind of like the exact reverse of their expectation. Remember, we're going to get the Ark of the Covenant. They brought the Ark of the Covenant in, and there's a resounding shout, right? Fired up. And then they march out and get annihilated. Well, Jesus is the very opposite of that. He looks like a defeat. 
He's bound, marched to Calvary, crucified, buried. But then, the very thing that looked like ultimate defeat, God reveals, is actually victory. The song, praise God, comes at the end. Don't sing the song at the beginning. You know you've been triumphant if you're singing when it's all over. It's a defeat, or what initially looks like a defeat is actually the triumphant victory. For Israel, there's a resounding cry that's followed by defeat and death. In Jesus, there's a death that leads to the resounding cry of victory as Jesus has overcome the grave. And then also, Jesus is the king. We all in our sinful nature reject and say no to. We all say yes to Saul. We'll study this more next week. Saul looks like a king, right? He's head and shoulders above. I mean, if you were going to say, now that looks like a king, everybody's going to point to Saul. There's not a man among Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upwards, he's taller than any of the people. One looks like a king, but in time will only take. Jesus has no former majesty that we should desire him. But I'm going to encourage you to keep looking at him. Keep looking at him. Listen to him. Seek him. You will find that he and he alone is worthy as king. His word is not for, to you, take, take, take. Give, give, give. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Hey, I'm going I'm to end with about the best news you're ever going to hear. You ready for it? God doesn't treat you like you treat him. Praise God, right? God doesn't treat you like you treat him. He doesn't. His heart isn't hardening towards you. It's as sensitive, as faithful, as merciful, as full of grace and holiness and justice as it ever has and it always will in Christ towards those who repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then one, um, one other hint here. Not hint, but other uh, direction towards Jesus. All this is going on. We didn't read all the verses. You can see little uh, snippets that uh, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. God, God always has some faithful people. Sometimes they're small in number. But, but we're ultimately going not towards Saul. We're going towards David. Amen. And here's the contrast. They reject God. What's the description of David? David is a man after God's own heart. It's the opposite of rejection. It's I want to know. I want to trust. I want to love. I want to believe. I want to follow. So in a moment, uh, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to pray together. And and then we're going to respond to the word of the Lord, right? We're going to respond. So where is it in your life? I trust the sufficiency of the word of God. Amen. And we have looked at his word this morning. Is there someone in your life and you're just looking at God and saying, no, I will not listen. Maybe a response for you would say, God, I want to recover. 
I want to recover a heart that's sensitive to the things of God. I want to recover that. Or second, maybe, uh, maybe you just need to really examine where you're expecting, if not outright demanding, God give you victory, but it's actually at the expense of your own holiness. Or the third, think carefully about what it means to take the name of the Lord in vain. Because Jesus teaches on Judgment Day, there are a whole lot of people who say, hey, we come in the name of the Lord. And Jesus actually says to them, no, you don't. Hey, we did many mighty works. Look at all that we did. And Jesus said, I never knew you. And so again, that snare where you say, I've come in the name of the Lord. The best way to discern and diagnose is in light of Scripture. Would God say that you did? Not you said that you did, right? You've got to be a better witness than you about your own self. Have you ever trusted Jesus is Lord to the glory of, not yourself, to the glory of his Father forever and ever. So I am at this moment going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray together and then we're going to enter a time of response and uh, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit is going to lead you. We're going to pray together and the reason we're going to pray is because we need God to do some things that we're not able to bring about ourselves. Left to ourselves, we'll reject God. We'll refuse to listen, but the Holy Spirit can work in such a way that he awakens you to the goodness and glory of God. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I want to ask some things of you specifically. First of all, Father, for anyone in the room that the current trajectory of their life is a Hophni and Phineas trajectory. Maybe frequently around the things of God. They've held the Bible in their hand this week. They're at worship service. God, they are overcome. Really treating you, the Redeemer, the Liberator, the King, with contempt. God, I am asking in Jesus' name that you'd work in such a way that our hearts are not increasingly insensitive to you and your word and your voice, but more sensitive. I'm asking in Jesus' name that you change the trajectory of some people in the room right now. And Father, we're asking that we are not a church that more longs for someone to fight our battles in a, in a wrong way. God, help us to be a church that's spirit-led, Christ-exalting. We look to Jesus as our King. So, Father, if we're bound up in looking for hope and help and deliverance somewhere else, God, give us grace not to refuse to listen to your voice. And then, Father, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it. They are safe. It's their identity. It's their security. It's their joy. We are prone to be self-deceived. So we ask your spirit to bring clarity on whether or not we've ever really bowed our knee to Jesus in a way befitting who he is. I pray you'd give us eyes to see he's the real king. He's the real king. In Jesus' name, amen.